Welcome to the Pastor's Cut podcast for the week of July 10th, 2022. And just before we hit record, we were bantering about calling people by their wrong names. So uh, before we jump into this, we have a new teaching series. So I I would like to banter uh, just a bit. We've (laughs) got uh, several folks here in the studio. So if somebody mistakes my name, you know, my name's Darren, but I get a lot of Daryl. You know, so if people don't quite hear my name, it's a lot of Daryl. So, Marissa, I'm sure people don't always... Usually I'm Mary or Martha, which is kind of, that's very biblical. I'm all right with that. That is, that is very um, biblical. I was visiting someone in the hospital today, or earlier this week, rather, who just kept calling me. We, we know each other well. He kept calling me by a wrong name, but he always has. But his wife was very embarrassed and kept on correcting and was like, listen, if it starts with an M... You're I'll good. answer to it. That's yeah. just fine. <laughs> I, I would think you would get a lot of Marsha or something like that. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Marsha makes more sense than Martha. But. Yeah. Okay. So, Dave, you have a pretty common name. <laughs> Do people often mix you up? People don't often mix me up, but sometimes people just don't remember names very well at all. And so I've, I've had a few people recently who said, hey, Bob. Hey, Joe. Hey, Fred. Like, they just couldn't even associate Dave <laughs> so for common, some reason. It common was so name. common that it was in one ear and out the other. Okay. So sometime during the podcast today, we're going to call each other the wrong names, just randomly, okay? The reason we started on this is Lauren is also here with us, one of our summer interns. Say hi, Lauren. Hi. And I called her Laura a minute ago. So mm-hmm. she said she gets a lot of that. And tell, tell the story that you told. Yeah, so I worked for a woman one summer who knew my name was Lauren. Her mom was in the same Bible study as mine. Um, and the entire summer I worked for her called me Laura, and I never corrected her. Never So were you too young and afraid to correct her? Yeah, I was like a freshman in high school, I think, so probably old enough to have said something, but not confident enough to. <laughs> yeah. I think we also need, just need to give everyone a bye to say, Hey, you know, if, if you don't know somebody's name, just ask them to say, I know I should know your name. Please don't be offended by that, but tell me your name so I can remember it. Mm-hmm. I mean, what's, what's so hard about that? But anyway. And sometimes it's like at Starbucks when they ask how to spell your name, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't matter. Yeah. However you spell it, I'll never know. So so what do you, do you just say, just go for it? And I mean, do you actually spell it for them or? No, I don't. I, I tell them it doesn't matter. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'll... So with my name, I'll say, give, give it your best shot, and then it becomes a game. They're like, oh, I know how to spell it. It is. And I go, no, nope. not even close. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're starting a brand new teaching series. Uh, let me drop back. We're going to talk about the topic for just a moment, then we'll talk about the text, and then we'll talk about how the text relates to the topic, if that's okay with you, Bob. That is wonderful, Daryl. Wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. So um, so we're starting a teaching series on anger. Um when I planned this out about a year ago, I thought it made sense. Now it makes even more sense. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just finishing up a teaching series on anxiety. A lot of people know what that feels like, but we are in a pressure cooker culture right now where everything makes us angry. I mean, just name the issue. There are two sides to it, and they're both screaming at each other. And so anger is very much a part of our culture, and I hope Christians would know 
hey, we're supposed to process this emotion a little bit differently, mm-hmm. okay, than culture. But unfortunately, if uh, the last time I remember looking at Facebook held true, Christians really don't handle this emotion much better than culture does. So uh, I see this as a real discipleship opportunity to say, what is anger? Uh, is it a sin? Is it emotion? How do we deal with it? What should we do? First thing I want to say right off is anger is not a sin, okay? It is an emotion. And here's the way I'm going to define anger in the coming weeks. And y'all tell me if you like this or if you don't, but if you don't like it, I'm probably going to stick with it anyway. <laughs> um, and this comes from my research and reading. And as far as I know, this definition is original to me, but it's it's a it's a composite of everything I've read and learned so far that anger is the unfairness emotion, that something is unfair or we interpret it as unfair and we don't like that and we say that's wrong and it matters. And so our emotional response to that is anger. That tells us that something doesn't seem right to us, it matters. Now whether it actually does or not, sometimes we can be angry about the wrong things. Um, but we respond emotionally to that. Do y'all like that definition? Kind of bounce it. Uh, Martha, what do you think? I love it, um, Brother Spoon. Ooh, <laughs> oh, that just hurts. That was just... <laughs> yeah, I would think that that, yeah, I think that's a great definition. And those things that anger us as we become more and more mature in our work with God, as become, we become more aligned to his heart, the things that anger him are going to be the things that anger us. Okay, so you, you make a great point there. If, if anger is a sin, then we would say, well, God should never have been angry. And God does reveal himself at times as angry. The old word for that is wrath, the <laughs> wrath of God. But anger really is the flip side of love, if you think about it. Um, if God were never angry, then he would not be a God of love simple illustration. If I'm a father and I find out one of my children's being abused, if I don't care, if I don't care that my child is being hurt, then that's a pretty clear sign that I don't love my child. Mm-hmm. I mean, and if I love my child, I'm going to be angry because what's happening to them is not right. So love and anger actually are, are almost two sides to that same emotion. God is a God of anger, but it, the Bible never says God is anger. The Bible says God is love, Sometimes God gets angry. Um, Dave, what do you think of that definition? I, I picture my children as two-year-olds, three-year-olds, thinking how they're interpreting the world around them and what's going on, whether someone takes a toy that they thought was their toy and they're playing with it and they got frustrated. It makes perfect sense through that lens as well. That, that the anger, they would always get angry at something because something wasn't going the way that they wanted not it to fair. go. It's not fair. Yes, yeah. And um, so part of maturing growing up is making sure we're angry about the right things and in the right way. And that's where Ephesians 4, and we'll come to this verse in a few weeks, it says, in your anger do not sin. So again, we're reinforced there that anger is an emotion. By the way, God got angry. Jesus got angry on a handful of occasions. And if he was the sinless man, then obviously anger itself is not a sin. Um but, and I completely forgot where I was going with that train of thought. I like that, don't though. You? That was that's good. A, that's a good, good, that was a good start and a good bridge even into <laughs> our a, passage. Y'all so. are telling me to move on, but there's something else I really wanted to say, and it's just completely gone. It'll so, come back to you. Yeah, it probably will. <laughs> so so we are, oh, here's what I was going to say. Thank you for the reminder, uh, Laura. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, and I'm going to ask you to pipe in here in just a second. Okay. 
and now I just lost it again. What is up? I'm so angry at myself right now. Oh, so so anger. Let me say it before I forget it. Anger is not a sin; it's emotion. But it's the way we handle that. If we handle it in a constructive way, it's a virtue. If we handle it in a destructive way, it's a sin. And anger so easily can destroy relationships. It can destroy trust. It can ruin a situation. And so as Christians, I think we ought to be very aware and cognizant of how we handle our emotion. So here's a little fun little question here for all of us. It, this is a heavy topic, but what is your tell? If you're angry, what, what do other people say you do when you get angry that they know? And think about your spouse here. Um, and, and Lauren, I'm going to start with you. From mm-hmm. friends and being in school, how do people know that you're angry? Um, I have never been able to hide any emotion I've ever felt in my entire (laughs) life. So you just have to look at me and you'll know. I have never been able to hide my anger or frustration ever. And I usually make a face at it. I've never seen your, I've never seen your mean face yet. Have you not been angry since you worked here? Not that I can think of. Give me more time. I'll get there. Yeah, she hasn't been here too long. (laughs) Yeah, give her a chance. Okay. So, so Dave, what's your, what's your tell? You can ask my wife. I am pretty flat and emotionless with almost anything. So I get excited about something. I get down about something. I get angry. It's all about the same pretty flat emotion. Okay. So you just, you go Sphinx, don't you? I do. Wow. Yes. Okay. All right. Marissa? J- Jeff Jeff is laughing in the audio room. What <laughs> Uh, he's, he doesn't have a microphone, so I don't know what he's laughing about. So he's just he's just laughing. All right, Marissa, what's your tell? I don't know. I, I feel like yes, <laughs> <laughs> a tiny bit of a nostril flare and a, a determination of purpose. Um, I think we're all pretty even keeled in this room, um, and I think everybody on staff. I mean, we're not really volatile people. We don't get angry no. a whole lot. We don't. No. But my favorite tell was Bobby Hart. Ooh. Whenever he would get angry, his smile would just get a tiny bit more strained. And you could see behind his eyes. He's so pleasant, so mm. even. But you could see the scream building behind his mm. eyes. Yeah. It, was really, it was a lot of fun. And, and it, I really hope Bobby's <laughs> listening. So, so he, would, he would clench his jaw a little bit, and, these, and the muscles like right below his ears would move. I could mm. tell he was almost grinding his teeth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Still smiling. Still smiling. <laughs> My, my tell, and I've, I've developed this later in life, I, I mean, like within the last year, when I get angry or stressed, I'll take off my glasses and rub my head. It's almost like I'm making a wish on the top of my bald head <laughs> for this anger to go away. So that's my tell. Uh, I don't normally do that in public. It's usually in small group meetings and staff meetings. I'll <laughs> flip off my glasses, rub my head, and people can tell I'm uncomfortable. Yeah, things to watch for. Things to watch for. Okay, so um, let's go ahead and read this passage Uh, This is the introduction to the message. We're going to lay some groundwork with uh, the definition of anger. uh, And I'm going to save for the message time some aspects of anger that separate it from uh, from good anger, from bad anger, constructive anger, from destructive anger. But really, I want us to look at the contrast between the anger of Jesus in this passage and the anger of the Pharisees. So, Dave, would you just read? This is Mark chapter 3. Uh, No better place to start a teaching series than with the Master himself. Mark 3, 1 through 6. Now, I have the lesser-inspired version. I have the CSB, not the NIV. Are you okay with that? (laughs) I know. As long as it it uses the word anger, we'll we'll get to it. Hopefully. I'll replace it with anger if it it isn't. (laughs) No, no, use use the word that's in there, and then I'm just going to take... If you can't see me at home, I'm taking off my glasses and rubbing my head. (laughs) Go for it, Dave. 
Jesus entered the synagogue again, and a man a man was there who had been excuse me. Jesus entered the really, synagogue take, take again. Take your time now. Take your and time. And <laughs> a man was there who had a shriveled hand. In order to accuse him, they were watching him closely to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. He told the man with the shriveled hand, stand before us. Then he said to them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. After looking around at them with anger, he was grieved at the hardness of their hearts and told the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and his hand was restored. Immediately the Pharisees went out and started plotting with the Herodians against him how they might kill him. Okay, so... We see, obviously, we see the master get mad here. Uh, without using the word, we're pretty sure the Pharisees are mad mm-hmm. because, I mean, what, is, what does Jesus teach? That, that anger often leads to murder, and that's where their, their plans and their hearts are going on this. So let's just bounce this around a little bit. What, what are the differences we see between the anger of Jesus and the anger of the Pharisees? Let's do a little comparison and contrasting here that would be instructive for us. So what y'all got? I, I love that the, the anger that Jesus has propels him to have compassion towards the Pharisees. It, he sees some sense of injustice going on with the man with the shriveled hand and the whole situation where they're trying to trap him. And because of that observation, it propels him to heal the man, to help the man in a better place than he's at. Um, the Pharisees, on the other hand, they're, they're looking around the room trying to, to figure out the pecking order. Are they really better than Jesus because they're observing the law versus he's not really observing their understanding or their interpretation of the rules they've created around the rules, not even the law itself. And their anger propels them to plot to kill Jesus, to do more wrong instead of do more right, instead of help other people. They want to hurt other people. Their whole reason for being there, their, their anger, their frustration was not to worship God. It didn't propel them to a place where they wanted to even embedder themselves. It just sort of festered and grew and made them lesser people. Yeah, just look at the result of their anger. I mean, what, what resulted from Jesus' anger was a man being healed. What, what resulted in Pharisees' anger was putting God to death, essentially. Um, and some interesting things here. They don't, they don't question whether or not Jesus can heal. That they seem to have acknowledged, but it's about when he would heal, and very strict Jewish laws about what you should and shouldn't do on the Sabbath. One concerning sick people, you couldn't, you could do something to keep them from getting worse, but you couldn't do anything to make them better. So Jesus, by healing, would obviously overstep. But I like what you said, Dave, about uh, Jesus's movement here, not only being healing the man, but compassion for the Pharisees themselves. That's one of the reasons Jesus had the man get up in front of the entire synagogue was for the Pharisees' sake, to say, can you look past your rules for just a minute and see a human being? And I think Jesus was advocating for the Pharisees more than they were advocating for themselves, really, mm-hmm. and saying, can, can you just can you reimagine some things? We see, by and large, the Pharisees just kind of walk away from Jesus here, but I'd like to think that there are one or two in their number. I mean, who knows if Nicodemus could have been in this group? We don't know, don't think so, but who knows that one or two of them may have said, there's something different. And Jesus' compassion extended not only to the man who was healed, but to the Pharisees who were in opposition. Marissa, you just look like you're dying to say something. (laughs) Well, it all goes back to construction and and destruction, just what you were saying earlier. 
And we talked a lot about Sabbath observance back when we talked about the healing in Capernaum. So if you are interested in Sabbath observance and, yes. and why it was so important, go back to what we were talking about in Luke 4. Um, man, I think, was that January? That was a while ago. It's a minute. Yeah. But um, the, one of the reasons why this was so hotly contested was because it was hotly contested between the different groups of Pharisees and religious leaders. And everyone wanted to know where Jesus was going to lie, who he was going to align with. Um, all would agree that Sabbath was a rest from creative work. Um, the Hasidic community even today says that the observance of Sabbath is entering into the cycle of divine creation and rest. And so there were many rabbis and Pharisees that took a more humanitarian approach, much like Jesus, many that would have agreed with what Jesus was doing. But these Pharisees in this story, of course, were the stricter sect, those who um, there was a scroll found in Qumran, one of the Dead Sea Scrolls that kind of lined this out, the contract of Damascus, where it was because we not, were not sure about the definition of work, all creative work is, is uh, forbidden. That's where you see if your hand is bleeding, you can stop that bleeding, but you can't apply an ointment to work towards its healing. So one of the things that really angers Jesus in this moment is, is that he did not come to just maintain our existence as it is. He came in order to heal, to restore our relationship with God, That's to good. work towards our thriving. So what they were doing, although that they wanted um, to be righteous, and their righteousness, they believed, was tied to Sabbath observance, what they were doing was anti-Sabbath. What they were doing was destruction. Um, you know, they entered that synagogue, this place of worship, on the Sabbath day when we were supposed to rest and abide with God and were actively working towards the destruction of another human being, this, you know, even without having Jesus' divinity and that ultimate blasphemy work into what they were doing there and plotting. They were working towards the destruction of another person on a day when when we were supposed to rest and take um, comfort and joy in God's creation. Absolutely. Sometimes to do nothing is really to do something. Right. It's to do something destructive. I, I like to hear, and uh, then Laura, I'm coming to you. <laughs> um, well, I also like here that what Jesus doesn't do when he's angry. He really doesn't confront the Pharisees. Now, there would be a time and a place for that, but in the moment, this man and his healing was more important than changing the mind of the Pharisees. And so Jesus takes his very precious energy and he uses it wisely. And I think about um, trying to convince people of what we're doing. Is it right or wrong? You know, when it, when it comes to explaining ourselves, um, when, when it comes to your enemies, or let me say it like this, when it comes to your friends, no explanation is needed. When it comes to your enemies, no explanation will do. And so Jesus realizes that he's not going to win this argument in the moment. Maybe he would plant some thoughts, but he really doesn't address his detractors here. He just lets them be. You know, if they're going to change, that's up to them. I'm going to spend my energy healing somebody who will really appreciate it. And uh, I like that, and I think that has something to teach those of us who like to justify ourselves, like to explain ourselves, but it's really a whole lot of wasted energy. Lauren, what are you thinking out there? So what really stands out to me is in verse 5 when he says that he looked around in them in anger and was deeply distressed yes. at their stubborn hearts. Um, I don't think I've ever talked about this here, but when I was younger, I actually had a lot of heart like problems um, and had to have a heart surgery when I was around 10 years old. So anytime a heart is mentioned, I, uh, it really just hits home. And so growing up with a literal messed up part, I take on the idea of also the metaphorical messed up part that we have until we get to know Christ. And it's interesting here that everybody around Jesus had a hardened heart and not him. 
and even in his deepest anger at looking at these people and seeing how they were sinning and living their lives like that, his heart still was open and loving to them, um, and he still produced love despite the anger and stuff. That's right. Just because other people are angry in an inappropriate way doesn't mean that we need to be angry in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, this, is, this is just kind of a dip in our toe in the water. Um, seeing in contrast that there is a constructive or destructive way to use anger. Any last things that y'all really just got to get in here for this opening message? Yeah, I think I want to go off verse 5 too. I, that was really beautiful what you shared, Lauren, and I think it's really true. Was Jesus angry at these people or was he angry at the condition of their hearts and at the corruption and all the barriers that are between us and God, even for these men who, you know, their whole life was about chasing after righteousness and they wanted desperately to be with God and they weren't able to be. And that made Christ so angry. So that just the fact that he chose a withered hand to heal in this moment to show that he was for the restoration and the thriving of these Pharisees too. If you think back up to the parable of the sowers and how the withered vine showed the condition of the Pharisees' heart, that they weren't getting enough moisture, that they weren't working towards their, they didn't bear any fruit, they were unproductive. And so when Jesus asked this man to stretch out his hand in front of these hardened heart, hearted uh, Pharisees and he made it productive again and he restored it to full life, he was telling the Pharisees, I could do this too if you would only allow it. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, you, we're trying to parse out here. Was Jesus just angry at the situation, angry at the people? Hard to see inside what he's thinking, but uh, I think we all agree you can be angry at somebody and still love them anyway. And in fact, because we love somebody, that, that will temper how we respond to them because we don't want to be destructive. Mm-hmm. Dave, closing thoughts. If I were teaching this passage, I certainly would, would do some, some digging and research on that word for hardened. The, it's the Greek word porosis. And I don't know. I just like throwing out Greek words. I do too. But, so it's, <laughs> I, I've got some, sounds like I've got some porosis of the liver or something like that. You know? it, does, it does almost sound what's, like that, but, it, it, but it, it's it, ossification. It, it literally means like, like the bone has been built up. It's extra hard. It's, it's not easily bendable or flexible. And Yet God can still penetrate through that. God can still melt hearts, and only God is really in the business of melting hearts and changing minds. And so as we look to Jesus instead of look to ourselves to try and look and judge the situation, I wonder if by looking at Jesus we can allow him to melt our heart. It's interesting, interesting how we use some of the same idioms. I mean, here Jesus sees that our hearts are hard, and we, we would say if somebody is just not all that flexible. You know, it's just kind of a, mm-hmm. this idea that things that are rigid are not are not alive and not as they should be. Lauren, what are your closing thoughts? So I was told one time that anger is a secondary emotion, um, that one feeling follows and so anger follows, like you were saying, like it's the unfair emotion. So you feel um, as if something was unfair to you, so your reaction is anger. And like here, his heart was distressed uh, for these people. So his reaction to that was anger. Um, And I just think that we have to find kind of what that base emotion is beforehand before we have any reaction to it at all. Yeah, it's a pretty easy emotion to go to. We might be feeling fear, we might be feeling sadness, but it's easier to go to anger and to ignore those deeper emotions. So I'm going to leave you with one final thought, and this is um, hopefully my, my prayer over this entire teaching series, is how to live from a healthy soul. 
And a soul that is always filled with anger, anger, angry all the time, is not going to be a healthy soul. And to go back to the teachings of Jesus, where he said, they're going to know you're my disciples, not by how angry you are, but by your love. Now, anger does have a place when things are truly unfair, not right, unjust. However, as Christians, I think we need to be very careful to live lives predominantly of love and not of anger and to take our cues from Christ rather than culture. So, all right, so that's a start. Here we are. We're going to jump off the deep end of anger here in the next few weeks. Uh, Dave and I are going to be out next week. I think Marissa is going to handle the podcast. Are you going to do it by yourself? We'll see, man. Let's do it. I think you just need to go solo. You need to start (laughs) venting everything you've wanted to say. To say, I'm angry and I've got some things to say. Yeah, yeah. We'll see if we might collect somebody else that is foolish enough to come to work on uh, the Tuesday after July 4th. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, that'll be tough. Okay. (laughs) Well, on behalf of all of us from the teaching team, we sure do love serving you as our church. And uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and grant you peace now and forever. Amen. 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 Amen.